Give me the green light Give me just one night I'm ready to go right now I'm ready to go right now I'm ready to go Episode 55 of the Greenlight Podcast, we are joined by A.J. Vaynerchuk. Uh, I will not do a good job of explaining how awesome he is, so I'm going to punt it to you right away, man, for the 1% of the sports world that doesn't know who you are. Um, you know, Give us the, the background and, and your experience and how you got to where you are today. Sure, man. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's probably a lot more than 1%, but um, <clears throat> so as far as the sports world goes, my my inclusion is fairly recent. My career started in the world of advertising and media. Um, started a company with my brother Gary called VaynerMedia, which focused originally back in 09 on social media in particular. Um, there was some sports to that. You know, uh, the NHL was an early client. The NFL was an early client. Uh, the New Jersey Nets. And we actually, it was fun. We got to work with the Nets during their transition to Brooklyn, which was really interesting. Um, the Jets were a client. So we had some sports clients and then some of our bigger brands like uh, – Mountain Dew was doing work with Russell Westbrook for a long time. They still might be, I don't know. So, uh, but did that and was simultaneously doing um, some angel investing as well. And eventually did a fund and uh, did that for the first seven years of my career. And then left the world of venture capital, left the world of advertising media, took a little bit of a break. And uh, what I'm doing now is I'm a certified NFLPA agent and contract advisor and the CEO of something called Vayner Sports hat right here. And we, uh, we represent football players, uh, full service in the sense that we do both the contract with the actual teams as well as endorsement deals, PR, brand strategy, et cetera. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I grew up a really big sports fan, unfortunately for me. Uh, and Paul, you were telling me earlier, Ian and I share this affinity. We're both masochists in the sense that we love bad New York sports teams. So, <laughs> I, I really only have two teams that I um, harness my energy towards, uh, the New York Jets and the New York Knicks. And, uh, you know, one thing that's been nice is the Jets have not been good recently. And so with Vayner Sports, it's been fun to have a vested emotional rooting interest in other games unrelated to the AFC East. So um, that's, uh, that's kind of the quick and dirty on me and my background. Listen, man, Brady's done. So that's got to be good news for you. Um, I'm still shocked by it, but let's go all the way back. I, I was listening to a couple other podcasts you were on and, um, you know, I was, I wasn't shocked, but I guess I'll ask the question first and then give my, uh, my take, but was Vayner sports part of the plan always, or did it come up when in business or in life or whatever? And then I think it was front office sports podcast, you and Gary were on and, and Gary, I was shocked at some of the randomness of like how you guys got involved in things. And he told a story about a magazine. He's like, why I'm in tech is because yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think that um, I'm somebody that takes pride in, in strategy being a strength of mine, but at the same token, our lives are not done on paper. Right. And so I think that, allowing for a certain amount of serendipity to play a role is good and healthy. Uh, you can't control every single thing about 
every aspect of your life. I mean, case in point, I've been inside this home for 15 straight days. Yeah. Not a part of the plan, not a part of anybody's strategy, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, there there is this shocking element of uh, serendipity almost shaping some of the direction that we end up going. Not that we are flying by the seat of our pants, but I think we have these general parameters and beliefs and understandings and expertise, and we have a very healthy dosage of planned direction, but we also allow for serendipity to happen. So as far as Vayner Sports goes, you know, it wasn't necessarily part of the plan. Um, I, I grew up a diehard sports fan. I grew up as the kid that played when I played Madden. I played more franchise mode than I actually played the actual game. And I liked the idea of a sports agent. I liked the fact that it took my two biggest passions of business sports and blended it together. But if you had asked me in 2013, would I ever run a sports agency? I probably would have said no, because, you know, the media business was a rocket ship and that media business has continued. It's a thousand plus employees. And so, you know, in in 14, my mindset was, no, I, I love the team that I've built. I love the work that I'm doing. It's a good business. Uh, we're on the we're on the forefront. We have our pulse on it. I like the sprinkle of venture capital activity. And frankly, I almost had my sports fanaticism and the business intersection almost um, satisfied because venture capital in Silicon Valley got so sexy in sports. Yeah. I was very fortunate because Gary and I had some really good success with some investments like Uber and Venmo where I was, and this is going to be name dropping, but to the point, like I got to spend time with Draymond Green and Carmelo Anthony and talk business. And it was almost like, you know what? I'm getting my fill of touching sports and working with athletes without the need to actually do a sports agency. Right. And so, but then I eventually got to a place where I wanted a change in career and a little bit of serendipity helped shape the fact that it ended up being Vayner sports. So, I can only imagine. I mean, look, I talk um, strictly from the outside looking in and from watching movies and reading stories and, you know, uh, just the culture of an agency or being an agent. But what was the process like? And I know you guys purchased and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of what they used to be, but I know you guys purchased an old agency. But what was the process of getting into an industry that for the most part isn't necessarily looked upon with the uh, most yeah. light. Let's say. Yeah. And, and, and so to that point, I kind of took that same perspective into it. I think part that last thing you said about it being an industry that doesn't have the best reputation was also how I looked at it. And I also looked at it as an opportunity. I thought yeah. that was a white space, right? Like, Hey, can we come in as these innovative outsiders and come differentiate and bring this breath of fresh air to an industry that desperately needs it? Yeah. Um, so that was actually something that we looked at as an opportunity. My original intent was to never be a certified agent. Um, again, I, I thought to myself, you know what, I've built this brand. I've built this reputation that athletes are attracted to, right? I'm this entrepreneur and investor, and I could be a level above the agent and I don't have to basically become a part of that pool that has a healthy dosage of skepticism and negativity associated with it. So the first two years of Vayner Sports, I was not certified, and that was with intention. What ended up happening was there's a lot of rules and regulations that severely restrict what an individual can do as far as recruiting and, and getting clients when you're not certified. 
And yeah. it ended up just being that those barriers were too great for me to overcome in order for me to build the type of company I wanted to build. So I had to bite the bullet, go ahead and get certified so that I could actually be more on the ground, hit the road, be involved earlier with these recruitments um, so that we could attract the type of clients that we wanted to attract. What's kind of been the reception, at least from the industry, from other agencies that have been kind of planted within the, the sports ecosystem for a while when obviously you guys are coming in, kind of you have the, the Vayner name already, and yeah. you obviously are disrupting the space that they, whether they're scared of, whether they're, they might say, hey, this is no big deal. What's kind of that been, been that reception to these other, from these other agencies? Yeah, it's a great question. It's been uh, very mixed. So I think um, when you talk about the incumbent, right, they, their primary narrative is um, at least their primary public and forward-facing narrative is a healthy dosage of skepticism because if you think about it, something new and innovative is a threat to the existing establishment of sports agents, right? Yeah. I feel like I'm borrowing terminology from the political race, but it, <laughs> It is analogous in a way, right? So for them, the more things stay the same, the more they thrive. And so um, there's definitely been – and then the other thing I would say, and I think it's similar, and I've had a lot of conversations, I think it's similar to – and making it more relevant to what this podcast is actually about. It's very similar to college recruiting, uh, both in basketball and football, where there's a heavy dosage of negative recruiting. Um, And so we face that. You know, I I get um, plenty of secondhand feedback whether it's from the players themselves, their families, their advisors of what our competition is saying about us. And so it's just this healthy dosage of like, sure, they have success in other arenas, but that doesn't mean they're going to be successful here. Um, and then on the flip side, what's been fun, because we, have a do, we do have a good reputation, because we've hired some agents along the way and we've grown, we're at 40 clients, there's also this subset of the agent industry, the more independent agents, um, and whether there's plenty of very successful independent agents and then there's the upstarts and then there's the in between, uh, it's been very warm from that group. It's kind of been like, Hey, we kind of think you're going to become the establishment in five, 10, 15 years. But we honestly prefer you knock those. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh yeah. Knock those dickheads and those assholes off their pedestal kind of thing. And so, um, it's almost as if they're like, listen, there's a need. Every industry needs a big gorilla in the room. We'd rather it just be you than some of the assholes that already have it. Got it. Now, was football always the play or was that because of who you guys acquired? No. If, if football was always going to be the first. If I were ever to do this, it was going to be football because football is my number one passion as far as sports go. Got it. Um, the business and the industry of football, because if you told me I had to play a sport right now, Golf and basketball are really freaking close, yeah. and football's third. Uh, yeah. But as far as um, a spectator, as a fan, and also just the business side of it, football is always far and away number one. And stay like on the business side. I mean, in terms of the clients that you're looking for and the players you're looking for, what what is what kind of went into that that strategy of who you want to work with, who you want to find the, those those players from uh, from the ground level? Yeah, a lot of it was actually informed by my experience with athletes prior to starting the business. So having the fortune of, you know, a handful of clients or to me of professional athletes that I got to know on a personal level and got to do some surface level business with primarily in the world of venture capital and co-investing in companies. I thought that, and it's happened so far and I think it'll continue 
every day that goes by, athletes are getting smarter and more entrepreneurial. And what's nice about it is I think that the, the leaders um, in a lot of these sports, what's cool now is being on the right cap table, right? As opposed to what used to be cool during Iverson's era or somebody else's era. And so we feel like in order for us to be the most successful, having an athlete that has a healthy appetite for something beyond the actual on-field or on-court aspect of their profession and has ambition beyond it um, aligns most with what we're trying to do. And that's not to say that, you know, for example, we have 13 rookies in this NFL draft class. And I'm not saying that all 13 of those guys know exactly what they want to do when they're done playing football. But at the very least, they need to have a desire and an appetite to leverage their professional sports career to create other avenues and vehicles for them as individuals professionally. I mean, to me, I mean, I, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm making myself sound old, but like as a 30 year old, like I get that. So that makes sense. Like I would love to hear like wherever my next job is, I can't even imagine someone saying, yeah, I want you to crush it here, but I also want to help prepare you for whatever you want to do after this. Yeah. I can't imagine all agencies are saying that, but my question is, does it ever miss? Like, do, do, do a, does a 19, 20, 21 year old ever look at you and be like, yeah, man, that's oh, all fine. good, but yeah, I don't care. I need to make my, I need to make my second contract and that's all I care about. All the time. Yeah. And that's okay. I think, um, my, it's unintended, but yeah. my favorite part of what I've experienced these last few years is that our approach ends up being self-selecting in the sense that I'm okay with missing that narrative missing and it, it mostly misses, right? We don't land every single guy, you know, it's kind of like baseball. If you bat 300, you're a hall of famer yeah. similar to this and venture capital is if you bat a hundred, you're a hall of famer. Yeah. Right. And so, um, this is not a business with high conversion rate. Um, and I'm okay with that because if, if our pitch and our narrative and our actions align to this and it, it doesn't resonate with the kid, then we weren't meant to work together anyway. Yeah. That's fair. So it, it, it misses all the time and that's okay. What, um, switching gears a little bit, what are your thoughts on Richard Sherman? And I know, I don't know all the details, but sure. in terms of him being able to negotiate his own contract, what, is that a, a fad? Is that just a, a one-time thing? Is that going to continue in the future? What do you think? It's pretty unique. It's going ha- to happen. Uh, there's been guys that have done it. Uh, Natomic and Sue just did his deal, uh, his one year deal in Tampa. He, he recently fired his representation right before he went ahead and did his deal with Tampa. Um, it'll happen. Uh, but when you think of the people that have done it, right, Sherman, Okun, Bobby Wagner, Sue, uh, you're talking about, and I only never met Richard. I've never met Bobby. Um, never met Russell, but I've, I've met Sue prior to Vayner sports existing. And, um, I know Bobby Wagner's people really well. And I know a very, uh, one of my clients played with Okung and one of my clients played with Richard. And so with those four in particular, I either know them personally or have very good references to them. And from what I've been able to gather, those four individuals are in the top 1% of 1% of professional athletes in terms of intelligence and capability. Right. And so, um, on top of that, I think you can find plenty of people that would argue that they could have done better with representation, sure. but 
and that's not the point I'm going to make. And it's not necessarily my belief, frankly. Um, it's just that I think it's smart to have an agent because I don't think an athlete should be their own doctor. Um, and it's just the perspective of, I think when you're doing these contracts and these negotiations, you have to do it with a, as little as emotion as possible. And I think it's really hard when, and by the way, let's talk about Sue Sherman, Okun, Wagner, come about four fucking great football players. Right. And so it's really tough when you've been successful your whole life and in the league and you're having these teams beating you down on your value and what you bring. So I think there's a healthy aspect of having a buffer. Um, obviously I'm biased. I think athletes should have representation. That being said, some of what Richard has said, and it's mostly disparaged my profession and my industry. I actually agree with what a lot of he says, because I do think that there's an uncomfortably high percentage of agents that bring little to no value. That's mm. a problem. Um, I don't think I and Vayner sports fit into that group. Um, but I understand how some players have had experiences with agents and agencies that didn't weren't worth their weight. Yeah. For sure. There seems to be, and my, and I, and I know, you know, Kevin, a good friend of mine, Kevin Tarka. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there seems to be like, just sign them and you can, you can forget about them for a little while. And then if they blow up, great, you know, and, and I didn't realize how crazy some of these contracts were that, um, and I may be just speaking from the basketball. I'm sure it's different by sport. Yeah. You know, uh, if you sign with that agent and you cancel with, or cancel, if you drop them within a certain time, like, they still get all the revenue that it's yep. crazy. and for, for yep. however long you sign for. And so the new agent yep. can't get anything until, I mean, craziness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have plenty of clients that we work for right now that we technically work for, for free because yep. when we started working for them, they were under contract and their prior agent collects commission through the entirety of that deal. Yeah. So it just incentivizes. Yeah. Why would an agent work harder? I'm getting any anyway. Yeah. I, I think it's a broken I think it's a broken system and I think it's part of the issue. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely wild. And shifting kind of away from that more onto obviously kind of the opposite of the spectrum and kind of shifting back into New York sports, obviously Knicks being one of your main teams and one of the big things there being, they put all their eggs in their basket, this past free agency class, KD, Kyrie, all yeah. things, yeah. with nothing from a fan perspective. And then also to obviously your business perspective, whether it's the perception of the Knicks, whether it's just what they've done, what is going to have to change there for them to be able to get these high-level guys that they want to be stars in New York? They're going to have to do better in the draft. Um, the ping-pong balls are going to have to bounce better. Yep. Um, I think there's a stat that the Knicks are, have never moved up based on odds in the lottery era. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Wow. Um, when they got Ewing, they were the worst team in the league and were supposed to have the number one pick. Yeah. But I'm fairly confident, you should check me on this, I'm almost, I'm 99% sure that the Knicks have never had the ping pong balls bounce better than they should have. Um, it's true. Yeah, so for example, for example, and this is in no way, um, I, I have nothing against R.J. Barrett. Yeah. Um, so this is not meant to be a negative on him, but this more speaks to how, how much I valued and, and had a lot of um, interest and love for Zion and Ja. We just didn't get the balls to bounce right. You know what I mean? So that that's one of it. And then comma, again, I'm actually probably higher than most fans on Frank, but we also could have drafted Donovan Mitchell and we didn't. And that kid's from Westchester, New York, right? And so it's this combination of 
it's this combination of I have a great Donovan Mitchell story I want to tell. Oh, I have to tell it. Please do. Um, but really quickly, it's the combination of let's get some balls to bounce the right way and get a Zion and a jaw instead of not. And hey, when you have the opportunity, I mean, we drafted Kevin Knox and not uh, SGA, same team. Yeah. Right. Like, so we were scouting Kentucky basketball. And in my opinion, we took the wrong. And by the way, again, I, I didn't think it was the wrong move at the time, but it's also not my job to decide who's a better basketball player. It's their job. So sure. that's the And then once they do a better job of that and start recreating and winning culture, they'll be able to, to attract free agents, in my opinion. And true. And Paul, I mean, you could say we went to the next the draft lottery party last year and it was <laughs> there's so much, especially when it's OK, they're in that top three. Like per, there's so much optimism. There's so much, and then as soon as it went three, it's dead. Like, it just shifted. The whole party ended. Everybody it's left. Not, it's not a knock on RJ, but it is. It was. It was, no. a, it was a two-man draft, and it was one spot out. And that obviously, both of those guys until the shutdown have had unbelievable. Uh, I mean, obviously Zion's a little bit shorter, but unbelievable seasons. And exactly. Oh yeah, they were effective, not more. And so I, I 100% agree. I think it's got to come down to that. Yeah. What, um, wait, I need to hear this. Yeah. So first and foremost, bit of a humble brag. I was sitting courtside at Nick's jazz. Um, Gary and I go to two or three games a year and sit courtside. And so we're sitting courtside and it's fourth quarter. This is two years ago. Um, what year is Mitchell in? Is this his third year? Third year. I think. Third or fourth. So, then, so, that, so this is, this is, yeah, I, this is his second season. So I think this is last year sitting courtside. It's fourth quarter. You know, it's late in the season. Knicks suck. And, you know, fans are just finding a way to entertain themselves. And the guy sitting next to me is just trash talking for the sake of trash talking. He's just honestly, he's just trying to entertain himself, frankly. And, and he's loud and he's loud and he's just riding players. And it's like fourth quarter, maybe three minutes left, one point game. And Mitchell's inbounding the ball. And he's literally a foot away from me. And the guy next to me is like, Donovan, you're going to fuck this up. You can't handle the pressure. This is New York, baby. Like, you don't understand New York, the garden. And oh, Donovan, just, just chill. He's just like, I'm from New York, baby. And just passed it in and just moved oh, on. <laughs> that was it. Oh, I was knew, so yeah, calm. He was gonna say. He's like, well, what are you talking about, bro? I'm from New York. I love I, the garden. <laughs> it was just it was super cool. It was super smooth. He had a really good game. I think he dropped like 27 or 28. They won. It was, it was fun. Sounds about right. He's the man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back to the New York stuff. So I was going through uh, some of your old um, Instagram stuff, and I remember seeing this when it happened, but the Porzingis trade video. Oh. When you guys, <laughs> when you guys <laughs> found out, I mean, let's – okay, let's skip the storyline that maybe there was beef between him and a coach or him and the GM or him and just the front office. Let's just say that that wasn't the case. Okay. I, I know that's impossible to do, but how crazy of a trade is that? Like, can't you figure that type of stuff out and just say, absolutely not, man. Like you're way too good and we're not trading you um, unless we get better value. Yeah. I don't know. And I really don't. Oh, even no, 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 no. Um, first off, the funny part about that video was that we were shooting, um, for something completely unrelated for uh, a Vayner sports and some of our football guys. And I want to say we were at maybe the super bowl. Um, That sounds like the right time. I think we're at the super bowl and we were filming something with um, two of my clients, Kyle Allen and Tyree Jackson, two quarterbacks. And 
I, we're shooting and literally, cause they're both basketball fans. And we were literally talking two hours earlier of like, all right, you know, they know I'm diehard Knicks fans. They're like, AJ, what's going to happen this summer? Which way are the ping pong balls going to bounce? Is KD coming? And I really thought KD was coming by the way. And, and I'm sitting there two hours for a trade. Be like, guys, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm 32, 33. I've watched all these trash Knicks teams. The stars are fucking aligning. It's going to be fucking Durant. It's going to be, it's going to be Kyrie. We're going to get Zion. The balls are going to bounce right for the first time ever. Porzingis, you know, we'll have Frank as our three and D guy. Like this team's going to be a fucking top three C in the East in a blink. And then two hours later, they trade Porzingis and I hated the package at the time. I was never, I actually, I feel bad saying this, especially being in the business of representing athletes. So I'm more cognizant of my words as a fan. That NBA draft where they took Frank, I had one priority and one priority only. I did not want to draft Dennis Smith Jr. It was like the only thing I cared about in that draft. Wow. Okay. I was super, super, super down on DSJ. And so then it was like, fuck me. Like I thought I dodged that bullet, but here it comes right back around. It's going to stick me even worse because it's part of the Porzingis package, right? And so to answer answer your question, the problem is you can't remove the reality you described. Like there was very clearly – I don't have any inside knowledge of this, but just from the outside looking in and being in the world, like it was very clear that there was a massive rift. And the problem was – where the Knicks really got hurt on the value is there's such a long track record of concern and issue for leg related injuries, more so foot, but an ACL for seven foot three type dude, not good. Right. And he was in a position where he really didn't have to come back. And it was just a situation where, you know, I, as a Knicks fan, I love railing on Knicks management. They were in a really, really bad spot. Tough spot. And yeah. so, um, yeah, man, I had delusions of grandeur about 12 months ago. I really, really thought that, you know, get there was, there was that's, and the guy. I think that's what's so crazy about New York is like, to your point, um, around that time, there well, was just this buzz about New York 100%. around the Knicks and nothing had happened yet. And there nope. was, that's how, that's how like the city is itching. I mean, oh, dying, dying, dying. dying. What what I'm what I'm what I'm very interested to see is, well, whenever the season starts at this point, but next year, um, when Brooklyn is good, and the Knicks aren't again, or just at least not as good, like will the city shift at all? I don't think so. But Maybe I, a little bit short term, but it yeah. takes time for that type of shit to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some. Yeah, it takes some time. By the way, also. There's no guarantee Brooklyn's good next year. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think Durant yeah. bounces back. I trust Durant. I believe in Durant fully. Yeah. I think Kyrie's in a very fascinating part of his career. He's had a very fascinating two years, yeah. both interpersonally and physically. Yeah. Um, they got rid of Coach. That was one of the craziest things ever, too. It's cra- I've almost forgotten about it now because obviously all the crazy right. stuff right. in the world. But it is – It's when you think about it, I mean – and they, I feel like the identity that they were able to build last year, they were just a tough, gritty defensive team. It's like they lost that. And whether that's really all on Kyrie's shoulders, whether that's just a natural progression, but you know, they're probably going to lose Joe Harris in free agency. Most likely they're probably, I don't know. I mean, they, they've got 
some young talent there, obviously around him, but they'll have. I think you dodged a bullet with Kyrie at the Knicks. In all honesty, I think so too. I was willing. I never wanted Kyrie personally, but it was like it was pretty well known. It felt like it was pretty out there that Kyrie and KD were a package deal from their personal relationship aspect. And I was in the mindset of like, fuck it. If it gets us KD, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like, sure. And also it's still, as much as I didn't want Kyrie, it's still Kyrie. You know, it's it's better than, what are they, uh, who are they trotting out? Again, basketball has been gone. Who are they trotting out at point guard before this whole thing? It wasn't, I don't know. It's been Moutier in the past, Jared Jack. Like it's still Kyrie though. Um, yeah, I was okay with it. And I, I think so much of KD and I think he'll bounce back from this injury. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, all right. So because we don't have a upgraded zoom account, we have nine minutes left, but okay. uh, so we'll do some somewhat rapid fire ones, but there'll be some random questions. I think I know where your brother lies, but if you could take over the Knicks or the jets right now, who would you take over the jets? Wow. You're with them. Okay. All right. I didn't think that. Um, so I also could confidently run a football team right now based on my experience, whereas basketball, I would it'd be starting from scratch. I could figure it out, but I could walk in and be ready to run a football organization right now. That's true. Um, of course, we got to plug AM Hoops Hoop Serial. Shout out Jacob um, and the T's. The commish. The commish. Uh, I would go out on a limb and say not too many people in your position play basketball at 6 a.m. multiple days a week. How did that happen? Is that like, listen, this is my exercise or is it more like this is my outlet or maybe both? Like I know basketball both. all for the, so it's both. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's heavily both though. Um, I love playing basketball, passion, passion, passion. The 6am portion is more so out of my desire to try to balance being a capable husband and father. Um, you know, I've got my daughter who's almost three, my son who's almost one at home. And I try, I travel a lot as a sports agent. And so a rule of thumb for me and a priority for me is if I'm in the state of New York, I try to have dinner and bath and bedtime with my children from 5.30 to 7.30. And that, and pair that with living in the suburbs makes it really difficult for me to get a good basketball run at any other portion of the day except 6 a.m. Yeah, that's the time. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, the 6 a.m. aspect is that a need and desire to balance life. And yeah, I don't really exercise beyond playing basketball or walking on a golf course. Listen, man, there are, there are worse things. Those are two great workouts right there. Um, okay. Real quick too, just like three, I'm just going to have statements and then I just want to get your reaction. Um, in 2030, the NCAA will not operate as we know it. Fact. I don't mean it won't be around. I just mean it will, you know, Fact. likeness, all that stuff. Name image likeness being the biggest thing I think that drives it. Um, but I think the, uh, I think the NCAA is on a downward spiral and, and yeah. I'm an advocate of that. Do you think that the power five conferences will break away and everything else will stay the same? That's always been my thing because if you go and play basketball at uh, Ohio university versus Ohio state, those are two different worlds. Yeah. To me, it's uh, like we always talk about the top 1%. We're talking about the Zions and the job. Yeah, We're not talking yeah. about Paul O'Connor, who played four years, 10 minutes a game at OU. We're just yeah. not talking about those kids. Yeah. Did you play 10 minutes a game at OU? No. God, no. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, oh, man, that's nice. I wish <laughs> I played 10 minutes a game at OU. Okay. No. I was cleaning up the sweat. Uh, the timeouts. Yeah, the yeah. timeouts were out there in the stools, yeah. but I added up to 10 minutes. 
Got it. Got it. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Ian, you want to take the soccer one? Yeah. Um, on this one, then 2030, soccer will become the second most popular sport in the U.S. True or false? I'm going to say false on 2030, but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be close and it'll be, I'll take the over, but not by a lot. I think soccer is very clearly heading in the right direction as far as popularity goes. I think that um, basketball obviously is a massive player. I think 2030 is probably too soon for football to fall off its pedestal. Um, but I'm the other thing that I'll say is comma esports could be a threat to stop soccer from getting to two and maybe make soccer three. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. We'll end on, you have the floor, you have the green light, if you will, for any hot take. Um, oh, I love that. Hopefully those two questions may have, you know, got the, the, the brain thinking about something that uh, you could predict or think or an opinion or whatever, whatever you got, you got the green light. Okay. Give me 30 seconds to make it good. Um, All right. Hot take. I think the Jets are going to have a really nice um, stretch. I don't think it'll be this year, but uh, I'm a pretty staunch believer that they have some of the most integral pieces in place um, that will thrive. And as a Jets fan, I haven't had that feeling for a long time. Um, and when I say pieces, I think the three most important pieces are general manager, head coach, and quarterback. And I think that they've got at least two of those, uh, in place. And I don't think I've ever felt that way. Um, and I think quarterback being the most important, by the way. So, uh, that's a hot take again. I don't know if it'll be the 2020 season, but I think the jets are in for the 2020s is going to be a good jets decade is, is a hot take. Um, it's going to be think, interesting the AFC East things are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Donald um, be the most tenured quarterback in that division, I believe, or something like that. Or I think that happened. is correct. Yeah, that's correct. It's not wild. And, that's, and it's, wild. that's I agree. And that's the most you think about. Like obviously, a little stunt in development last year because of the mono. But if you yeah. have to keep putting the piece around him, allow him to continue to develop. Yeah, I, I agree. I think future is bright. And the one thing I will say, merging two of these things together, I played pickup with Jamal Adams about a year ago. Right here one of the most, and wasn't even trying, the most impressive athlete, non-basketball oh. players I've ever seen. It just glide. athlete. Absolutely. Dude didn't even want to do anything in the paint, just wanted to sell for jumpers. But if he saw someone on a fast break, break away, it was just gliding up the court. And then, yeah, soaring. Unbelievable athlete. The same yeah. as AJ. If you haven't seen him play, it's the same. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, another Jet safety, uh, for the Jet fans out there, Kerry Rhodes is a really legit basketball player. Played with him before. Super ah. good basketball player. Nice. Carry yeah. I think he actually went to Louisville for basketball uh, and then walked on football. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then yep. a late shift? When did he? Uh, he always played football in high school. He, um, it was a situation. He was a quarterback in high school. And he just wasn't getting the D1 offers at QB that he wanted. So he loved basketball too. And, you know, got, got an opportunity to play shooting guard at Louisville. And then the football coach basically convinced him to play some football as well. Got it. Awesome. Well, AJ, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, yeah. where can everybody find you? Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's just my initials, AJV. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. Uh, those are the two that I primarily lean on. And so um, you can find me there. And then 
Instagram, Twitter, Vayner Sports, VaynerSports.com. That's um, the agency. And yeah, that's it. That covers it. So early to Twitter and Instagram that AJV were still available, or did you buy those? I didn't buy either of those. Um, Instagram, yes, I was incredibly early on Instagram. Um, you go go to my Instagram and look at my first photo posted. It's a real flex. I was. Funny enough, I, I'm pretty sure it's a. I want to say it's a picture of my TV watching the Giants play the Texans. Um, but it's like week two of Instagram existing. Wow. Um, so you'll see there's the timestamp. I've got the flex there. Twitter, I was very early on Twitter, but I was not early enough for AJV. But because of VaynerMedia, I was just doing a lot of work in 2009, 2010 um, with Twitter. And, um, you know, one day I realized that AJV, the account, was um, very inactive and not being used. And I just put in a note saying, hey, see, this is available in my mindset. Can you help me out? And it worked out. Nice. Not bad. All right. So AJV yeah. is. Thank you again for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Stay safe. Okay, it a lot of fun. Stay, Stay sane. And uh, yes. we'll talk soon. You guys as well. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poking a cup. Pull, slush, rustles up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney in the love, so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.